Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. You know something is bound to go down today. Uh, you just know it. Well, hey, everyone. My name is Tom. I'm the, one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome you to the finale of Madman, a series where we've been actually looking at one life, the drama-filled life of our Old Testament hero, Joseph, Mr. Joe Cool. We've been looking at that one life from two distinct perspectives. And the first angle is this sort of uh, profile view of this downward spiral. It's the view that you and I are probably Probably most familiar with because this is the this is the view that we actually live in our daily lives. We actually experience this one layer at a time. And for Joseph in the book of Genesis, it was a sort of death spiral containing everything from high stakes family drama to sexual temptation, false accusations, and even a trip to death row. But the second view is from our God above, who actually looks down and has an entirely different perspective. One where he sees the whole picture. And he's actually at the center of it all, working for the good of those who love him, despite whatever harmful obstacles present themselves. Speaking of which, I gathered that that's the reason why many of us actually relate so well to Joseph, because no matter who you are, no matter how bad your life is, Joe's was worse. And check this out. No matter how good your life is, Joe's was actually better. After all, we're talking about a man who literally goes from the pit to prison to today, we're actually going to see him go from the pit to prison to the palace, the halls of power, the the penthouse, if you will. After everything is said and done, from the pit to prison 
to the palace. In fact, that's exactly where we find him today in episode number three. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. Would you do that? It's found on page 31 in your scriptures. And by the time we pick it up here, you'll notice that Joe has already caught the eye of the Pharaoh. See, during his little stint in prison, Joseph interpreted two of Pharaoh's dreams. This is something that nobody else could possibly do. Only Joseph was the only one that could actually do this. So what happened is Joseph actually rises up quickly on the sort of ladder, so to speak. He goes from death row to COO, chief operations officer, or the number two man in all of Egypt during a time of crisis, more specifically during a famine, a worldwide famine. Check this out. Genesis chapter 41, verse 55. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Verse 57, and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Folks, you you see what's happening here, right? Do you see this? Our boy Joseph has grown up. He's grown up so fast. He's literally become the gatekeeper of the entire food industry during a time of famine. Translation, Joe is your meal ticket. So if you feel like eating, you better be nice to Joe. Right? Which is what makes this next scene so remarkable. Genesis 42 verse 1 says this. When Jacob, again, this is actually Joe's father, right? Who, who, who he hasn't actually seen in 20 years since his brothers left him for dead in the pit, right? So when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy, buy some for us so that we may live and not die. His family is starving, right? Now watch this twist, verse 6. Now Joseph was what? What was he? The governor of the land. The one who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground, sort of like a dream, that Joseph had years ago, right? Just saying. Verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From, from the land of Canaan, they replied, to, to buy food. And now, now here's the clincher. Verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him question. Have you ever been deeply, deeply hurt by someone? I'm not talking here about like a, you know, a slight offense or like a, you know, a simple annoyance here and there. No, no, no. I am talking about like a major abuse, a mortal wound, a heart wrenching betrayal. I'm talking about a death spiral. Has anyone ever kicked you into one of those? Yeah? Well, then let's be completely honest here. Right? I, I recognize that this is church, but we, let's just be completely honest. If that's the truth, if someone's ever thrown you into a ditch like that, let's just be honest. You dream every waking hour of your day to pay back that person who's harmed you the most. I mean, if you really, really, really have been hurt, you dream of this. You have these, like, revenge fantasies. Oh, if I could just, right? 
Oh, I just, I, I can't wait. If, if, the, if this situation happens, I just, oh, I am going to get revenge. Tell me I'm wrong, right? I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually going through a divorce right now. This is a no-fault divorce, but you know how they go, right? The, you, you can call it whatever you want, right? No fault or whatever. But no matter what the situation, everyone's always thinking that the other person is actually at fault, right? And, and so I remember sitting with him a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, just sitting there having coffee, and, and he, starts, he starts just getting into this one story about something that just really aggravated about her, and he's just like, oh my gosh, if people only knew what she did to me, and you could like see the bile coming up out of his neck, right? His, his temples are like flaring, right? So, so you know something? Thank God, actually. Thank God that, that most of us never really find ourselves in a position of power or privilege or within striking distance of actually exacting eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? Otherwise, we'd probably all be a lot worse off. Yet Joseph is actually put in a position where he does have the power if he chooses to, right? He actually does have the power and he is in the position to squash his brothers, to literally starve the same people who left him for dead, right? Who sold him into slavery, who staged his death to mom and dad. He's actually in a power, in a position to actually starve those same people, his own brothers, to death. And the thing is, No one would have even known about this. Why? Because until this point, his identity is a secret. His own brothers don't even recognize him. So let me ask you again. What would you have done in that situation? What would you do? If that person, just think about that person right now. If that person who hurt you so bad Maybe he even robbed you. Maybe she robbed you of 20 years of your youth, of your life. What would you do if that person was like literally right there in front of you, vulnerable and unsuspecting? What would you do? See, folks, literally not a month goes by when I'm not talking with someone, even in our little circle here at Liquid, where, where someone shares with me how they're still struggling day to day from the scars. I call them ghosts. From the ghosts of emotional, physical, verbal, sometimes even sexual abuse from the hands of someone that so-called loves them. A, a family member, a friend, a close friend, someone that supposedly loves them. And you know something? About 90% of the time, I would say about nine out of 10 times, the abusive one never even owns up to it. It's true. They don't ask for forgiveness. They don't even pretend to acknowledge, they don't even acknowledge it. So so what would you do if if the people or if the person who hurt you the most came to you unknowingly in this position of a vulnerability and you had all the power and all the authority and the anonymity, if you had all those cards in your hands, I mean, you could not dream for a better set of cards in your hands, could you? I mean, you you, you couldn't possibly ask for a better hand of revenge or even justice to be dealt for you, right? Which is what makes Joseph's next move so 
stinking crazy. You are not going to believe this. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, folks, all that time spent in the pit, all those years spent in prison, God had been reconstructing Joseph's heart, molding him and reshaping him, reconstructing his very soul to become the man, the type of leader we see in that ridiculous passage. A leader who would actually one day be able to responsibly, responsibly hold the position and power that God had always intended to give him in the first place. The kind of leader who would use his power not to crush his brothers, Right? Not to use it in revenge, but to actually leverage it, to leverage his position and his power inside of the palace, to leverage his position inside of the penthouse to bless and not curse. In fact, we'll see how God uses Joseph to not only save his family, but to save an entire nation as well. See, what was intended to harm, God actually intended for good. Now, before we go there, though, I get it. Some of you are like, well, you know what? That is just great. You know something? Joseph is a better man than me, okay? But that doesn't happen in my world. All right, maybe in like Bible land, maybe in fairy tales and things like that. But in my world, (laughs) no, no, no. In my world, bad is bad, right? And I don't see God doing like this overwhelming behind the scenes, you know, incredible work for good. I'm sorry, I'm just saying, right? But hold on now, hold on for a second. Scripture actually says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, right? And meaning God still does the same things today. In fact, in our lifetime, we've actually seen, whether you re- realize this or not, we've actually seen this drama unfold before. Here's just one example. Who can tell me who this is actually a picture of? Go ahead. Who, who, who can tell me who that's a picture of, right? It's not Morgan Freeman. That's the character that he played in the movie, okay? That's right. That's former president of South Africa and Nobel Prize winner Nelson Mandela, one of the most influential leaders of the 20th century. And his story is so incredible, right? Mandela was actually thrown into, he was thrown into prison, okay? He was thrown into prison for life. Why? What was his crime? Because he stood up against apartheid. 
You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Apartheid. White minority over here, black majority over here, right? That's apartheid, right? From 1962 to 1990, over 27 years, Mandela spent in a prison cell on Robben Island off the west coast of South Africa in a jail cell the length of about five of the seats you are sitting in right now. Go ahead and look four seats down. For 27 years. But when the apartheid finally came crumbling down and Mandela was released, it was only a short time before he traded this for this because he was unanimously, unanimously elected to the office of South Africa's presidency. So, are, are, folks, are you catching this? God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, right? From the pits, from the pits of racial injustice to the horrors of 27 years in prison to the highest office of presidency. And so Nelson Mandela was, was not only the single greatest weapon of racial reconciliation and healing for an entire country, but he was also a modern-day hero of true biblical proportions. I mean, can you, can you actually imagine, can you imagine going from the pits to 27 years of prison to the presidency, now ruling over, check this out, now ruling over the very same people who threw you into jail in the first place over three decades ago. I mean, just imagine all the hatred. You think that you have uh, some beef with someone, right? You think that you have some qualms with someone. Imagine all the revenge and hatred and years of bitterness you could rightfully execute on your former oppressors now, now that you're the big man. Now that you're the president. I mean, now, now is when this hammer is gonna fall, right? But what's incredible What's absolutely incredible is that as the new president of South Africa, Mandela actually, this is incredible, he actually had one of his former prisoner guards, a white man by the name of Christo Brand, who was actually only 18 years old at the time that he was first reporting for duty. Mandela had Christo stand with him on the presidential platform as a distinguished guest while Mandela passionately addressed his country still in, in this very raw and sensitive place in their healing hearts. And Mandela would later say this. He would say he would address his country and he'd say, in my country, we go to prison first and then we become the president. So as I walked out that door and toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind... I'd still be in prison. Now, folks, that powerful symbolic gesture did not go unnoticed by the millions who observed. In fact, his message was absolutely crystal clear. Grace, radical forgiveness. Those two things would be the only way towards true healing, towards true ultimate freedom. It's amazing, right? When elevated to the highest position of power, 
Mandela actually chose the most radical forms of grace and forgiveness possible. And here's the deal. So did Joseph. Joseph did the same thing as he looked at his enemies from the presidential palace. Chapter 45, verse 4 says this, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me so I can whack you. No, no, no. <laughs> when, he said, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but who? God, but God. Folks, come on. This is pure insanity, isn't it? I mean, without God in this equation, without this sort of, this kind of heavenly view, this heavenly perspective of things, to not exact revenge on your enemies then and there, right then and there, is absolutely insane. To not exact revenge would have been absolute madness. But when God grabs hold of your heart, crazy becomes the new normal in only the best of ways. See, God actually uses the madness to save not only Joseph and his brothers and the rest of his family, but God uses the madness to save an entire nation from the certain death of starvation. But you know what? We've got a saying, don't we? We've got a saying that whenever something goes really, really well, right? What do we tend to say? Ah, come on, you know, that's just too good to be true. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly, funny enough, what his brothers were thinking as well, especially when dad died. You see, because when dad died, the brothers, (laughs) they started going into panic mode. They're like, oh no. Dad, oh my gosh, Joseph is going to, he's going to get back at us now because dad was our only buffer. But take a look at this. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So then they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. 
Guys, I don't know what kind of radical forgiveness is necessary for you to reconcile with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, right? With your, with your enemies, actually. But that's exactly what is happening here. Because think about this. For Joseph to actually say, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your family. Folks, we have to realize that's just not, that, that's not Joseph just saying, oh, yeah, you know, don't even worry about it. No sweat. I, I forgive you. No, 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 no. He's actually taking it a step further. And he's saying, I want to bless you. I, I, I want to break this cycle of bitterness and rage and madness. This is not going to go on for generations and generations. It stops right now. I want to bless you. I will provide for you and your children. Do you see the tremendous power and beauty and freedom? Freedom in that. See, guys... The only explanation for how you not only forgive but actually go a step further and bless someone who's wronged you is to actually entrust all judgment to God. And Joseph does exactly that. Do do you see what he actually says here? He says, am I in the place of who? God. Am I in the place of God? In other words, I'm not here to judge you. That's not my job. My job is to to what? My job is actually to love you. My responsibility is actually to love you. My job, my part in this equation is actually to love you. See, folks, Joseph ruled by the power of love, love of God, love of neighbors, love even of his own enemies. Joseph ruled by the power of love. Nelson Mandela ruled by the power of love. Jesus Christ saved by the power of love. And folks, candidly, if you're in a prison, if you find yourself today, you know, somehow locked away somehow, you need to know that the only way you even have a prayer, the only way you have a chance of truly breaking free is through the power of of love. Just ask my friend, Angela Kabisky. In other words, let me break this down for you like this, okay? I want to take it from the, you know, the presidential palace way up here to, to the, the nitty-gritty, dirty New Jersey, okay? I want to bring it down a notch, okay? Most of you, you, you know my friend Angela, right? Maybe you've seen, yeah, that's right, we got a fan in here. Maybe you've seen her and her husband, John, you know, they're just sweating it through, serving their hearts out at Liquid Kids. I love the Kabiskis, right? They are truly a dynamic duo. We actually spent a Thanksgiving uh, dinner together one year. Great, great friends of mine, right? And maybe the friends of yours as well. One of the things, actually, that makes Angela so special, so tremendous, actually, is her great smile. Right? I mean, she just, she walks into a room and boy, you know she's there. She just lights up the whole stinking room, right? And so with folks like Angela, whenever you run into an Angela or a person like Angela, you might be tempted to think something like this. Oh, you know, come on. She doesn't have any problems. No way. Her relationships are all rosy. She is so put together. All of her relationships must be so smooth. She doesn't have to deal with forgiveness. No issues of of forgiveness. She she doesn't need the power of love in her relationships. (laughs) Folks, 
We all do. We all need forgiveness. We all need to forgive. We all need the power of love in our relationships. But it just so happens that Angela is brave enough to admit it. As a young child, I had a very dysfunctional family. My father abused me in every way a man could abuse their little child. The verbal abuse was what left most of the scars. He used to tell me all the time that I was stupid, and he made that very clear to me time and time again. I hear his voice. I hear my earthly father's voice even today when I'm 45 years old. It wasn't until I came to Liquid that I was hearing about how fathers were loving on their daughters and I was just like shocked to learn that a lot of people were experiencing love from their earthly father the way I was being taught to experience it from my heavenly father. I was kind of jealous, especially now I serve in Liquid Kids and I actually see it all the time. I thought a lot about what Judgment Day was gonna be like, and I was ready to go to Judgment Day and have God say to me, you learned time and time again that you must forgive as I have forgiven you, and you didn't forgive your father. And honestly, that was the only person in my life that I had trouble forgiving, because I really take that scripture to heart. But when it came to my earthly father, there was just absolutely no way I was going to forgive him. And I really didn't understand how God would have that expectation on me. A sovereign God that I loved, that knew my heart, I could not accept that he would expect that I would have to forgive someone that afflicted me the way that he did. When we did the Daniel fast and I was learning about forgiveness, I had a revelation that in order for me to achieve more intimacy with God, and have him be my heavenly father, that I would need to come to terms with my earthly father and what he did to me. And I was determined that it was going to transform my heart because I knew that God was determined to transform my heart. I can never connect to God where he was my heavenly father because the word father, for me, was never one that was a good thing. I took all the bitterness, all the bad memories, and I said, I am nailing it to the cross and I forgive him. Forgiveness is not so much for the other person, but forgiveness is for you. Because I feel the freedom that I've never felt before from this forgiveness. God gave me a huge gift after that. I have not had one negative flashback of his behavior towards me when I was a child. What's even more remarkable has been what I have experienced after that. And that was intimacy with God in a way that I have never experienced it before. I'm at a point in my spiritual journey where God is showing to me that he does believe in me, he does love me, I am worthy, and he's transforming me to the child that I was then to the adult in Christ that I am now. God always intends the best for us, and we have free will to live any way that we want to. So when I look back on my journey, the goodness that's going to come out of this is that in the future, when I'm able to give my testimony to anyone who wants to listen, they're going to recognize that God lives inside of my heart. Folks, can we give it up for Angela? Angela? 
right there. Angela, we love you, John. We love you guys. Love you guys. Folks, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to set free from a, a prison of bitterness and hurt? Maybe you heard of this quote by Lewis Smedes who wrote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. In fact, did you catch actually how my friend Angela said that she was, she was actually ready to go to the grave with this, to actually face judgment day thinking, you know what? Surely a God who knows me and who loves me would forgive me for not forgiving my father in this situation. To forgive is to set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. So just how do you do that? How do you forgive? Oh, I know. I, 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 I got it right here. You, you, just, you just sort of summon it up, right? You, you just sort of muster it up. You search down deep, and you bring up all this positive energy and, and goodwill and all this Oprah Winfrey stuff, and you just, you just sort of muster it all up, right? No, Oprah Winfrey's over. <laughs> Folks, you can't do it. It's not inside of you. That's the whole reason why you instinctively, when I say that, you're like, that's so ridiculous. I could never do that. You can't. You're right. You're exactly right. I agree with you. Amen. See, it's only if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, the same Spirit of God that was inside of Joseph, supernaturally dwelling inside of you as well as the Spirit does in every single believer, only then... Can you possibly, could you possibly do a supernatural thing like that? And folks, that is exactly what Christianity is all about. It's why we take our symbol as a symbol for for our faith. It's actually the cross, right? Because we see, we, we, we saw how even like last week, Joseph is like this foreshadowing, this beta version right, of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who on the cross, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And so folks, on the cross, what is Jesus actually doing? He's not just saving one family. He's not just saving one nation. He's saving all of humanity. Actually, anyone who would come to him and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord. And it's because of what Christ has done for you on the cross that you actually have the power to forgive. Christ inside of you, he can do it. You can't do it on your own. It's got to be Christ inside of you. That's exactly what he did in my friend Angela. That's what he did in Nelson Mandela. It's what he did 4,000 years ago with Joseph, and it's what he's doing today, right now, right now in the service. In fact, I firmly believe that some of you will actually, you're going to actually feel, if you're not feeling right now, your heart melting just a little bit, your heart turning just a little bit towards God. I believe that some of you will actually experience the, the Holy Spirit of God 
coming upon you as you actually come forward to receive, to acknowledge first that you have been forgiven, that God's forgiveness in your own life through Jesus Christ on the cross is made available to you because of Christ's sacrifice, because Christ himself had his body broken for you, had his blood actually shed for you. And that's exactly what communion is. You, you see the communion table in front of you right now. That's what communion is. Simply accepting his body, his body broken for us. This is what Christ did. The ultimate act of forgiveness. His body broken for us. His blood, I won't pour it, it's okay. But his blood actually shed for us. And as you receive communion, I'm going to ask, I'm going to encourage you to ask him for the power to forgive. As you accept his forgiveness, I'm going to encourage you to to ask him for the power, that, that he would give you the power to forgive. Ask him for the power of love in your life, in your family, and in your relationships. You see, we close this series with communion because that's exactly what it cost Christ, his body broken, and his blood actually shed for us. This, by the way, this right here, this innocent blood shed for the guilty, this is absolutely, unquestionably madness to the world. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of love, the power of forgiveness, the power of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, not just for the biblical account of Joseph's life, not just for the the epic life we've seen in our lifetime of, of, of Nelson Mandela, But I thank you for my friend Angela, who shows me in a very tangible, real way that forgiveness is number one, first and foremost, from you. It comes from you. She could not forgive unless she herself realized that she was forgiven by you. And number two, that forgiveness, the power of love, the power of forgiveness is the only way towards true forgiveness. Freedom. She is a free woman. She is free. And many of us right now, we're in bondage still. Because in our hearts, we hold on. We are shackled by bitterness and hatred. And we don't want to forgive. And we say to ourselves, we will take this to the grave. Yet, Father, you would not allow that for us. You you did not spare your own son. So we thank you for that. We thank you that we have that opportunity for true forgiveness in our own lives. Help us then to forgive others as well. Lord, as we we receive communion, Father, I I pray that you would help us to reflect on the body broken for us, on the blood shed for us. And Father, if there's there's people in here that, that do not believe or do not know your son this way, I pray, Father, that you would open their eyes even right now. The scripture says that one of the most powerful tools of witnessing, so to speak, is for the non-believer 
to see the believer worshiping. I pray that that would happen right this minute. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.